Let us pray, and then uh, we'll dive into God's Word this morning. Heavenly Father, as we heard the words, sung the song, you are a mighty fortress. Our Lord, we need you more than ever. Lord, we lead on you. We confide in you. We trust you in our trials and our temptations. Lord, I pray this morning you teach us how to pinpoint those desires that lead to lust, that lead to sin, that lead to death, turning it into a temptation, furthering our lives from you instead of bringing it in closer to you, Lord. Help us this morning, Spirit of God, come dwell in us, convict our sins, may be repentance in our hearts, and lead us and help us, Lord. We need you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, it is said, one of my favorite theologians, St. Augustine, there's a story. Before his conversion, he had uh, sexual relationships with a prostitute, if you believe it. And uh, right after his conversion, yeah, St. Augustine was walking in, in the streets, and these women recognized him. And she started calling his name. She, she screamed, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine, recognizing the voice, not looking onto her, sped up, started walking. And she continued strong, you know, towards him. Augustine, it is I. She kept screaming at him. And there was a point that he was just rushing, almost trotting. And he screams, yes, but it is no longer I. What a perfect example of resisting temptation. And as I was pondering in that story, I, I pondered on David. What if David would have done the same thing on that rooftop when Bathsheba was taking a bath? What if he would have turned away? Well, we know how that story ended with death, didn't it? Uriah the Hittite died. Not only Uriah, but his son with Bathsheba. And this is exactly what we find today, this passage. We find ourselves in James. Let's open up your Bibles to the first chapter. Verses 13 to 18. Very well-known passage in Scripture. Uh, I go as far to say very uh, controversial passage in Scripture. Um, theologians have wrestled with this. And, and as we were going through Sunday school this morning, we were going through a, the you know, biblical doctrines of predestination, uh, 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 the atonement of our lives, limited atonement. And, and we saw brothers and sisters wrestling with these passages. Thank God for these passages. Because it allows us to draw near to God and ask the tough questions. And today we find ourselves in a tough passage. Let us read. I'm going to read verse 12. For a little bit more context. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Here it is. Here's the passage this morning. Let no one say he is tempted. I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. 
But each person is tempted when he is lured or lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it, it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen. I've titled today's sermon, Steadfast Under Trial by Resisting Temptation. I have two points this morning. Point number one, the nature of man. Number two, the nature of God. His goodness, immutability, forgive me on that word, and his holy will. Why, why do we have to go to basic theology, basic doctrine? Why are we discussing the nature of man and the nature of God? Well, because James understands it to be crucial for the fight against temptation. Standing firm or strong in a trial or when we fall into temptation, it comes down to the understanding and how we practice proper theology. And James is about to do that right now. Theology is not only meant to be kept in our minds, but it is to be worked out in faith. And then we must understand who we are and who God is in order, in order to fight temptations and persevere in trials. Let us go to the passage. James says, let no one say when he's tempted. Let's stop there. Same as trials, temptations will come. It's inevitable. And you know what the difference between a test and a trial, a test and a temptation is? Well, first of all, a test comes from God, at least for us believers. God tests. God doesn't tempt. There's a difference. The purpose of a test is to draw you close to God. Temptation is to further you away from God. And today we're going to learn who the culprit of temptation is. But he says, let no one say when he's tempted... I am being tempted by God. And you would say to me, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Daron. I would never say that. Then you, you, you feel you're like you're better than Adam then. Because in Genesis 3, right after the fall, what happened? God approaches Adam. Why did you eat of the fruit? Immediately, he shaved the blimp. The, first he says, the woman you gave me, first the woman, and then he goes off to say, you did that. You gave me her. In other words, one day I went to sleep, I woke up, and I was married. You did that, not I. We, we, we think we're better than Adam, but we're not. You see, in our fallen nature, we always shift the blame for our temptations and shortcomings. We are expert at that. And what James wants us to know is that you are so depraved that you are willing to bring God to our level. That's exactly what Adam did, didn't he? He was enticed by his desire to be like God, 
He couldn't achieve it. He couldn't attain it. What was his next step? To bring God to his level. You are like me. You're a sinner like me. Because you enticed me to do this. You gave me this woman. That's how wicked man is. And that's what James starts with. And then he goes to say, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. There's two things James is alluding to in this verse. And I want to make this clear. First, temptations are inevitable. And second, most important, each person is tempted by their own wicked desire. And note, James does not say, does not mention the devil. James does not mention the world. Yes, they are tempters. But no, he says, he goes further than that. They're not the culprit. You know who, are, who is? You are. So we in this room, we could all point out to ourselves and say to our own selves, we are our own worst enemy. And this is basic theology, but it's important theology. To withstand trials, to pass trials and tests, one must first look within. The realization that I am my own worst enemy. It starts there. Because, beloved, when we do this, you know what happens? We put ourselves in a proper place and God in a proper place. And the chasm that lay between him and I now becomes clearly abundant. And now there's a need for a savior. And now there's a need for a redeemer to bridge that gap. And when we have that proper understanding, James is saying, you look unto the one who was tempted, but with no sin. Very, very important. And as I said before, tests are meant to bring you closer to God versus temptation meant to pull you away from God. And he closes in to the guilty party, and it's us. Let me tell you something. What you desire the most is what will bring about your next temptation. James is saying, Temptation starts with that desire. And yes, desire is either, neither wicked or good. It's neutral. You could desire things as good, but you could also desire and lust for things that are evil. But that's where James says, be aware of your desires. Pinpoint your desires because that's where your next temptation will bring about. You cannot tempt me with chocolate. I don't like chocolate, but you may tempt Brother Troy with chocolate. I'm pretty sure you could entice him with it. My two. Yeah, there you go. You're, you're, you're in the same party. So let me assure you, I'm not saying that, that desiring something evil. The problem lies when our desires are corrupted with lust. And then that's, this is why Romans 1 becomes clear and evident. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. It all started there. You know what it started? The desire to be Better than God, to create our own God into our own image. That was their desire, and God led them up into sexual immorality and sin, which brought about death. So, in recognizing temptations and trials, we must look always within, not to save us, but to put us in the right place. 
and to put God in his proper place. And this is what he says next. God does not tempt. He is not the author of sin. He makes it abundantly clear so that we believers have this right. Don't blame shift. Don't shift, uh, blame God for your shortcomings. And you say, well, I don't do that. Let me tell you, we, we don't say it, but we do it. We act like it. Let me, t- let me t- tell you how. Every time a believer sins deliberately, thinking that just because you are a Christian, God turns a blind eye. You know what you're doing there? You're trying to make God deviate from his character. You know why the reason you're not smitten or, 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 or punished? It's not because of you. It's because the work of Christ at the cross. And that is crucial and very important putting ourselves in our proper place and God in his proper place would allow us to fight temptation and withstand the test. Now, we have come to a portion of scripture now that is very controversial. And like this morning, we're going through some passages that we need to wrestle with. I'm not going to give you a, a systematic theology uh, a seminary class here today, but but wait a minute, James. You said that God cannot be tempted and he doesn't tempt. But what about Jesus? Isn't he God and he was tempted at the desert? That is what probably one of the few arguments against the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we need to wrestle with that. First of all, has God has ever been tempted? Well, the Bible says in the Old Testament that the people of Israel tempted God in the wilderness. Psalms 106, 13, 15. It says, but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the z- desert. And the Greek word used for test is the same used for tempt in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And we need to deal with that word first to understand what James is saying. The Greek word used is peirazzo, which according to the enhanced Strong's lexicon means to try whether a thing can be done. To try. And that is the point. The people of Israel tried to tempt God. In a sense, God can be tempted. In another, he can't because he won't give in to sin. He's too holy, too pure, separated from sin. That is what James is saying. He will never give in to sin. He will never divert from his character and his attributes. He's immutable. Another fancy word saying he doesn't change at all. We don't understand that because we're feeble-minded, we're wicked, and we do change. But that is who our God is. Now, it doesn't end there. Let us wrestle with how the devil tried or tempted our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, and some theologians will argue, well, he was tempted in his humanity, but he was fully God and fully man at the same time. The point here is that the devil tried to tempt Jesus. Would Jesus give in? I'll tell you why Jesus would never break in to temptation. Because Jesus 
All he wanted was to fulfill his father's will. His innermost desires were not on outer things, material things, although the devil showed him everything. I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. But his desire, like he said, is, I came here to do the will of my father. And that is an important lesson to all of us. If your desire is in money, is to attain money more than doing God's will, guess where you'll fall? Your next temptation will come from. Maybe that next promotion that will stir you away from Sunday meetings with the Lord. And I'm not saying if you have to work on Sundays because you must, you must. That's not what I'm saying. But you are enticed by the desires that you, what you desire most. So Christ, although the, attempt, the devil attempted that he enticed them, he could never be broken. He's too holy, too pure. His desires are always to do the Father's will. And I pray that for us this morning, that our desires will always be aligned with God's will. Amen? So can God be tempted? In a sense, yes. And like I said, we, we tempt God at times when we, the way we act way we sin at times, deliberately. And God doesn't smite you and punish you, not because you're any good, but because Christ died at the cross. Remind yourself of that. There's nothing special about you. That's what James is saying. You're wicked. Let me give you a Christian life hack, especially to young believers here this morning. And I see a few. I'm going to give you a Christian life hack. If you want it to be well with you, spiritually wise, it'll do you good to remind yourself always of this truth. That you in your human nature, you are evil, wicked, and fully depraved. When you have that humble thought about yourself, then Christ is magnified. Christ becomes all in all. And your need for a Savior becomes evident. You thirst for Him. Starts there, James says. Again, I said Christ could not be enticed because His desires were always aligned with the will of God. Where are your desires this morning? I need you to ponder that this morning. Mark 10, 9 says, therefore, what God has, and let me go back, I'm sorry, a note. Your desires may be this morning that maybe you want to look for a divorce. Maybe you're giving in to pornography. Maybe, just maybe your desires are in the things that are not from above. Maybe you're tempted with sexual sins and your mind has distorted your desire has been twisted god's design for what sex is prescribes what what is prescribed in scripture and i love that james puts us in a rightful place we ourselves are the root when we fall into temptation and the more we are reminded of this beloved the more we see the chasm i say as i said that we need a savior 
And overcoming temptation starts with a proper look at ourselves, like I said before. We can use all the mechanisms to avoid lusting after a beautiful lady or a handsome man. But if we just leave it at external practices, eventually we will give in into temptation and our fleshly desires. So we need something more. You know, they say, well, if I, if, if I see a beautiful lady come in, yeah, just look once. And if I look twice, that's when you sin. Yeah, we create these mechanisms. But we need something more, a deeper relation. We need a higher power to help us. See, David realized this after he fell into sin with Bathsheba. He repented. Look at this, because it's crucial. Go to Psalms 51. He reminds himself of his humanity. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and my sins in in sin did my mother conceive me. First, he realized who he was. I am a sinner. And as soon as he, who he, he realizes who he is, then he then realizes that only by the power of a holy God can he be redeemed. Can he go and beat his temptations? Let this be your prayer this morning if you're struggling with temptations. This is what David says. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. If you don't have a right spirit, you cannot beat your temptations. If you're not born again, you cannot beat temptations. You need something more. Not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit, says the Lord. And we need that. Daily in our minds. But what it starts with recognizing who we are and who he is. This is why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Not that God leads us into temptation, but when we pray that, we are asking God to change the inner man. And change my desires to want the things of God and not the things of our flesh. That is the prayer. What we're telling God is, lead us not into temptation, is protect me from me. And guard me with your power. That is what he's saying. One of my favorite Bible teachers, Miguel Nunez, said this. And what a godly prayer this is. He says... I pray that my temptations and my desires never meet. Did you hear that? I pray that my desires, because they're wicked above all things, never meet the temptations in my life. Because most likely I will fall into temptation. I am not strong enough. I am not wise enough. I mean, stronger men have fallen. How can I say it different for me? And that is the humble position that we ought to put ourselves in. Always. We're wicked. God is holy. Amen? Point number two, and, and again, this is basic theology, the nature of God, His goodness, His immutability, and His holy will. We've seen the reason why our temptations occur. It is our own nature 
that produces such wicked desires. And those desires are driven by lust. And lust leads to death. Notice that James doesn't mention, Satan made you do it. The government made you do it. He says, you are your own culprit. Look within. And after providing the root cause of our temptations, now he points to the one that can provide a way out. To give you strength to resist such temptations. Let's look at verses 16 to 18. In these passages, James gives us a proper doctrine of who God is. It seems like we need some, a, a deeper understanding of who God is to beat these temptations and pass the trials. Doctrines are not meant to merely be kept in the mind, but to be exercised in faith, knowing that each holds a promise. And this is why we need to understand who God is, so we understand that He is faithful always. And those are promises to me. And to you. Take a look at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Let's stop there for a second. When you ever, when you're reading scripture and you hear this, do not be deceived. Pay attention. For what comes next, it's imperative. James is saying, open up your spiritual ears. This relates to you. What comes next determines how you live your faith. And he goes to say in verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And contrary to the idea that God is the tempter, James points out that God is the giver of good things, perfect gifts. And this speaks to the goodness of God. He speaks to an attribute of His. He is good always. I cannot understand that. But He is good, unchangeable. He's good always. And that for you and for me is a great promise. He doesn't present you with temptations. Instead, He's so good that when you go through temptations, He presents a way out. He doesn't just leave you stranded. He doesn't just present a test for you to pass or sees a temptation and you just go right to yourself. Go on your own. He says, no. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That is a promise. That's reassuring to me and should be a reassuring to you that my temptations are not above God's will, power, sovereign, sovereignty. He's in control. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. That is a good God. That talks to his goodness. In other words, God is incapable of tempting anyone. He may test you for his purposes. But even then, when we are tempted, he gives a way out. What better way to express his goodness than to give us the best gift of all, His Son. In this, 
is how God loved the world. That he gave who? Mary? Joseph? His son? Think about this. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, meaning dead, incapable of, we having no autonomy, no emotions, no spiritual emotions whatsoever, God sent his son. He died for us and made us alive again with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Think about his goodness. So when temptations come our way, God, you are good. You are good. That alone should catapult us to desire to beat our temptation, whatever it may be. You might be going through drug addiction, sexual sin, laziness. Maybe you're a gossiper. Maybe you're a cheater. Maybe you're a glutton. You know, one of those sins that nobody mentions. Maybe you are those things. Maybe you fall into temptation all the time. Daron, why am I falling into this temptation, this trap all over again? Well, the gospel reminds us that God so loved us. He so loved you. He knows what you're going through. He knows the temptation is too much, but he gave us a way. His son, the gospel, and ultimately that's the greater gift. Let me take it a step further. When James uses the title, Father of Lights, is referring him as creator. What he's saying is God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and as unchanging as they may seem, one day they will fall from the sky. He is unchanging, immutable. God's character, power, and wisdom have no variation of shifting shadows, he says. And in this we could trust that he says who he, he, he is who he says he is. And James is talking about the immutability of God with whom there's no variation of shadow due to change. Not only is God good, but he is always, highlight that word, always good. That is his character. He's not going to break it for no one, not even you. He's from eternity past to future, always good and never changing. And that holds a strong promise, doesn't it? This means that we can trust in his faithfulness and trust his immutable character. When you're going through temptations and trials, you could attest to, you could go to him, you could plead to him because he's unchanging. Think about the times that, where God has brought you out of. Think about it. Some of you have greater testimonies than I, but he is good, isn't he? He's unchanging, isn't he? And I want to, he's so immutable that we fall into temptation. We think, or when we sin, we think that God has some way, somehow alienated us from his grace. That he no longer loves us or maybe loves us uh, any less. He is faithful 
even when in our most faithless moments. And I want you to get that. That's very crucial. We fall into the lies that when I sin, God may, oh, he loves me less today than yesterday. We change. He doesn't change. And that's a promise. That even if you fall into temptation, it will happen. We have a good God that's immutable. That no matter what, loves me the same. You know why? Not because of you has done anything good, but because his son at the cross. When God sees you, he sees Christ, his son. He won't change loving his, his son ever. Romans 8, 31, 39, highlight this. I know most of you have it highlighted. It says that there's nothing that can separate us. Nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Man, we, we're easily forgetful. Nothing. The implications of this passage is this. When God is unchangeably good and shower us with good gifts, why should anything evil have the slightest attraction to us? When we have hold that truth, when we see the truth in our lives every day, how He showers us with gifts, with good things, our reaction ought to be focusing on Him, focusing on him running to Him. James also speaks of, the, of God's holy will in verse 18. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And here's a promise to hold, to, hold, hold on to. When temptations and trials come your way, and they will come, God in his will, we're talking about this this morning, if you were in Sunday school, he has predestined you and I to walk in good works, to do His will, and to do what is pleasing in His sight. You have been equipped with all sorts of spiritual gifts to do His will. And He has predestined us to follow in His will. It is a great reminded, reminder that you lack nothing. 1 Corinthians 1.7. You lack nothing. He's that good. He just didn't leave you alone. He, you lack no spiritual gift. He made us alive with Christ Jesus. And in his, this new life, He has equipped us with every good deed to persevere trials and to resist temptations. Amen. Here's a practical application for your life. Man, I'm sweating up here. You probably see it. It's gleaming, right? It's, I don't know what happened. Turn on the air conditioning, Freddie, please. <laughs> or I should calm down a bit. You're right. Take the jacket off. Yeah, yeah you don't want that. It's not pretty under there. So here's a practical application for your life. 
James mentions that God brought us forth by the word of truth. Life came to you by the hearing of God's word. His word is the source of life. And you're looking at me and you're like, yeah, Dayron, I've heard that all my life. But how often do we neglect God's word in our lives? You may be approached by a pastor, approached by a, a, a brother, and you may hear the same question, what are you reading? What book of the Bible are you reading? Tell me. You think that, yeah, you know, that's, we hear that often. As if it's something that we just need to check a box. We were brought forth to life by His Word. Not only that, our sanctification depends on being rooted in that Word. The more we, ha- we are being fed nutrients, God's Word, we are equipped and we're able to defend ourselves with temptations. How many times are being tempted and a verse pops into mind? A reminder. Whoop, wait a minute. The Word of God says this. We forget the blessings that the Word of God brings about. When we submerge ourselves with daily reading of Scripture, again, no legalism here, practical. If you want to follow it, great. There's blessing in it. We learn to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us in thought, word, and deed. We cannot be triumphant over sin and temptation by merely coming on Sundays and expect to walk the rest of the week unplugged from the Spirit. The Word of God teaches us to be obedient in a way that pleases the Lord. And it becomes our very source of defense against the lies of our flesh. We live in an era of deception. And you think that deception is out there. Start here. The heart is wicked above all else, full of lies. And there's only one absolute truth, and it is in God's word. Practical. 2 Timothy 3.16, we all know it. The word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We must walk in the spirit in order to resist temptations. And the only way we walk in the spirit is to be illuminated by the spirit through his word. There's no other way. There's no raising my hands. There is no emotions. We take all of that out of, out of it. Even our emotions come with a lie. Because it's wicked above all else. So we need something to illuminate our spiritual eyes and to protect us from temptation. It is a safeguard. James is saying, protect yourself. You know that passage 
Ephesians, where we put ourselves the armor of God. It's all about the truth of the word of God. It's all symbolic, but all points to the same thing. You need to be indwelled with the truth of the word of God to protect you from the darts and fiery flames of the enemy. It's important. It matters. We take it for granted. But then you don't see spiritual growth. And you say, man, Darren, I'm falling into this trap of my temptation, pornography. I, 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 I get angry all the time. I fall into it. My brother. And then my like, next question is, how does your Bible reading, and not only Bible reading for the sake of reading, dissecting God's word, studying God's word, meditating in God's word, how does that look like in your life? And I'll tell you why you're falling short in your temptations and not resisting when they come. Again, no legalism, biblical blessings. Paul makes it clear in Galatians 5, verses 16 to 24, that the only way to kill, kill our passions, because we have to kill our passions, because it is our desires that bring about temptation. That's what James is saying. So, and then Paul says, you must kill your passions. And the only way to do it is to walk in the Spirit of the Lord who brings about truth. His Word lives in us. Practical blessing. Only when we walk in the Spirit are we to manifest the fruits of the Spirit, which include self control. In conclusion, trials and temptations will be the norm in our lives to be expected as long as we live in this wicked body. Our desires are ever-present. And it's a daily struggle. I'm in the same boat. I know. I'm not preaching to a choir. I'm preaching to myself. Defeating trials and resisting temptation starts with a proper acknowledgement of who we are. And a recognition, sorry, that we are ourselves our worst enemy. It starts there. Also, and most importantly, we need to be reminded of who God is. He's holy. We take that word so for granted. Holy. We don't even, even know what it means. Even in our lexicons, even in our thesaurus, we haven't created a word so grand. To explain and define his holiness. We only have an idea of who he is. In our feeble minds. We are the root and cause of temptations. Let no one say, God, you have tempted me. That is a heresy. He's never the author of evil and still sovereign over all things. 
Those two things, sometimes we can't even put in our minds. He's not the author of sin, but he is sovereign over all things. I cannot comprehend it. I will not be even be able to explain it. But the word of God, he is sovereign over all things. Yet, he doesn't push you to sin. And I know it's hard to wrestle. I heard it this morning. Why did God put Satan or the tree if he knew that? Guys, we go by what God's word says. Let me teach you something that I learned in seminary. When a passage or an idea or a subject or a doctrine or, or theology is hard, it's confusing, go to the clear passages. Make doctrine out of those passages, and then the others will come out clearer. We don't go to passages like, whoa, Jesus was tempted. Oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. Ha ha, I got you. That's what the Muslims do. That's what everybody to disprove Christ's deity. No, 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 no. We go to passages such as these. It starts with God's attributes and character. He's immutable. He won't be tempted, and he tempts no one. Then we get to destroy everything, every, uh, I mean, go into all the passages and destroy our presuppositions. That's what we do. I hope that this passage was that for us this morning. That we look into ourselves first. Then we look at God and how grand he is. Put us in our proper place. And then Christ becomes the bridge between us. Thank God for the cross. And thank God for Jesus Christ, our Lord. May we put our faith and believe in him for our salvation. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word has been preached. Lord, we are, as we were reminded, we ourselves are feeble, weak. And even if the speaker up up here, Lord, we as speakers or preachers, we're weak ourselves. We, I might have not gotten all right. But I pray, Lord, that you use this small loaf of bread and maybe piece of fish and multiply it. Holy Spirit of God, enlighten us to truth. We don't have all truth. Only you, God, immutable, holy, have all truth. Lord, we cling to you, to your promises. Help us. Help us to be temptations, to uh, surpass trials, Lord, that we may be closer to you. And, And Lord, teach us teach us. If there's any sin, unrepentance sin, Lord, I pray that it comes out, that it, that it is being laid at the cross for the sanctification and your glory, Lord, in everything we pray, Father. Amen and amen.